0: Hello, I'm Bob Vessels and I'm from the Netherlands. In this podcast, I will be telling you unexpected stories about Rembrandt, the famous Dutch painter. Compelling and fascinating stories. Hardly about art, no, about his almost unknown life as an entrepreneur. About Rembrandt's business his finances, and his legal affairs. His troubled life, in good days and in dark periods, may offer you a new and different perspective on Rembrandt, the most famous artist in 17th century Holland. In 2024, I'm planning 24 podcast episodes Every episode is between 15 and 25 minutes, and all for free. Welcome. In this first episode, I will tell you why Rembrandt is a national icon in the Netherlands. How, when, and why did he become a Dutch national hero? Hmm... Rembrandt a Dutch icon? There was plenty of criticism about him. He was bad with money. Wasn't he trying to defraud his creditors? Wasn't he grumpy and stubborn in his dealings? Why then such an enormous adoration for the man? And is Rembrandt still tenable as a Dutch icon in today's society? In a recent publication, Paul Schnabel challenges us. Paul Schnabel is a Dutch sociologist. He looks at how our vision of art is determined with completely different eyes. How? Because of our Dutch identity. Our, says Paul, means the vision of people from the Netherlands. Paul Schnabel does so in his Dutch book of 2019. Titled, Looked Differently or Seen from a Different Angle. The Best and Most Fascinating from Dutch Painting in the Golden Age. He presents his unique view on the best and most fascinating of Dutch painting of the Golden Age, the Night Watch. I will discuss the Night Watch, or in Dutch, the Nachtwacht, in more detail in one of my next Podcasts that uh, promise let me take you on an imaginary journey to the Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam. There it hangs in all its glory. The Night Watch, at the end as of a highlight of the Gallery of Honor. I think you might know that place. Snabel writes, I quote, it has become our national icon, and the whole world comes to see it, end of quote. And my book, Schnabel says, is a story with a morale. Well, that begs the question, how does something become a national icon? How widely should this be supported? What steps do you need to take? In the Netherlands, we use a so-called canon. To canonize actually means canonizing. Fortunately, the term canon is not as compelling as it seems. It is more of an overview of what is representative in a particular field and what everyone should know. Paul Schnabel emphasizes that a canon does not establish normatively binding rules about what is important in any field of art or medicine. It is not an eternally valid order of things. It's only a practical tool to make relevant choices in the abundance of daily information. So every canon can change, as taste and preferences change. According to Paul Schnabel, we cherish what we experience as typically Dutch. Back to the canon. The canon of the Netherlands uses 50 windows to display the most important events, people and objects that have made the Netherlands as what the country is today. In the context of my book Rembrandt's Money, this podcast, covers events from the canon related to the Golden Age period. In the canon, 9 out of 50 themes have been selected to represent this time frame. They cover political, cultural, scientific and mercantile events and leaders. One canon is number 18, Rembrandt, a country full of painters. Experts of you no less than nine windows from the Golden Age. That's how important this period is for our country, the Netherlands. In the national canon, Rembrandt was chosen. Why? This choice arose from the realization that Dutch painting was not dominated by only a few great masters. They worked in important art centers such as Amsterdam, Haarlem, Delft and Utrecht. I will mention a few. Frans Hals, Johannes Vermeer and Jan Steen. Rembrandt is the best-known symbol of the remarkable cultural flowering of the 17th century. For more than 100 years after his death in 1669... He remained just an ordinary popular artist. But the Dutch physician Petrus Kamper rediscovered his work. Petrus was born in Leiden and lived from 1722 to 1789. Kamper praised the sublime compositions of the night watch and the typical chiaroscuro the treatment of light and dark or light and shade. Comper also appreciated the bold use of brushwork, portraying vibrant courage and action. At the end of the 18th century, in 1797, the National Council of the Bavarian Republic became the successor of the Republic of the Seven United Provinces. This National Council received a gift from the Brabant Flemish graphic artist and engraver, Lambertus Antonius Classens. He explained his intended gift, I quote, the first proof of labor of three years being an engraving depicting the night watch, undertaken in order to make the masterpiece of Rembrandt, that outstanding painter of the fatherland, better and better known to the Batavian people and other art-loving nations, end of quote. So, here we see that an artist plays a role in the formation of a nation. Some 15 years later, French emperor Napoleon lost his battle to create a great French area. To prevent France from making the same mistake again, during a European summit conference, A powerful state on French northern borders was created. The Netherlands and Belgium were merged. This new political unity didn't last long. It ended in 1830. The southern Netherlands seceded from the northern provinces with the Belgian revolt. Belgium became an independent state. This revolt turned against the rule of the Dutch king Wilhelm I. The Belgians also longed for independence for the Catholic French-speaking bourgeoisie in the southern Netherlands. Realize the times we live in, we are in the decades of growing nationalism and with the development of nationalist ideas. In her PhD awarded in 2020, Anna Rademakers describes how King William I tried to create national unity for the United Kingdom of the Netherlands, including in the arts. She notes, however, that the North and the South had different cultural traditions, and painters often operated only at a local level. Rademakers concentrates, in her book, Hometown, Homeland, on the artistic development in the trade cities of Amsterdam and Antwerp and the royal cities of Brussels and The Hague. She found differences in art views and the attempts at integration and cooperation at a national level. These failed Cultural life in the early 19th century was very much influenced by such notions as country, national identity, and national awareness. What are symbols of a country? Could be a coat of arms, an anthem, or a flag. These can have an historical origin but they can also be newly designed. Remarkably, also an artist can be a national symbol for a nation. Painters, in our case. With the 1839 Treaty of London, Belgium's independence as a state was warranted. The loss of the southern provinces meant that the painter Rubens was now a Belgian hero. Rubens, although born in Germany, was the Great Belgian, symbolized in the bronze statue on the prominent Groenplaats in Antwerp. Ruben's statue is from 1843. Curiously enough, Ruben carries a sword that he is a painter can only be seen from the painter's palette that lies at his feet. The Netherlands, too, in its renewed status, was looking for its own hero. It also found it in a painter. A new national story requires new national heroes, and Rembrandt turned out to be ideal to take a stand against Rubens. Rubens was a Catholic, who received most of his important assignments from the clergy and the nobility. Rembrandt was a Protestant and served the bourgeois elite. In Amsterdam, the Dutch replaced Rubens with a statue of Rembrandt. It was unveiled in 1852 by King Willem or William III of the Netherlands on what is now called the Rembrandt Square. The choice for Rembrandt is in line with the historical-political tenor of the development of a new nation. He was, of course, an all-round artist... He was a painter, a draftsman and an etcher. And he had a variety of subjects, biblical scenes, historical paintings, portraits and, of course, group portraits. Perhaps his connection to Amsterdam played a role. The city was, and still is, the most important city in the Netherlands. The statue itself was designed by Louis Royer, or Royer. Louis came from Flanders, the present north side of Belgium. It was a great sponsor and promotion event. The entire elite showed up. Rembrandt apparently guarantees a great celebration. The most recent so-called Rembrandt year was 2019, 350 years after his death. Some 10 museums all over the country organized all types of events. Authors and publishers worked around the clock to complete their publications in 2019. Rembrandt was an artist and a businessman, but he himself is also big business. (music) Knowledge, or more broad connoisseurship, is the most important condition for arriving at a reasoned and defensible judgment. For decades, questions have been put forward about the authenticity and attribution of paintings to Rembrandt. I will dedicate a separate podcast to the phenomenon of attribution, but for now, paintings that are considered an authentic Rembrandt, decades later can be seen as paintings by his pupils, or as being painted in his vicinity, or in the style of. today early twenty twenty four let's see where we stand and don't be startled through the years the experts have given quite some different opinions of all the paintings attributed to Rembrandt Bradius in nineteen thirty five concluded that six hundred thirty nine are authentic fifty years later, Gary Schwartz in nineteen eighty five submitted three hundred and fifty as a figure. That is quite a dramatic difference. Van der Wetering, in the last 2014 volume of the Rembrandt Research Project, mentions the number 348. And in 2019, Volker Manut and his colleagues describe 330 real Rembrandts. One thing is certain the debate on authenticity will continue. in October 2023 discussions were ongoing now on a rediscovered Rembrandt it is called the Adoration of the Kings of around 1628 it would have an expected price of 10 million to 15 million UK pound at a Sotheby's auction in London early December 2023 the painting was sold for million euros, including commission for the auction house. This game of recognition and revaluation makes a normal person dizzy. And not just ordinary people. In 2016, Katarina Zizarskorska desperately concluded, I quote, Despite 50 years of research and all the technical investigations, The confidence in Rembrandt's connoisseurship is lower than ever. End of quote. She complains in despair, I quote again. Today nobody seems to know what a Rembrandt painting should look like anymore. What we do know is that Rembrandt remains an icon. The Rijksmuseum in Amsterdam had its expensive acquisition from 2022, the standard-bearer, in Dutch, the Vandeldrager. The museum had it travel to museums in all 12 Dutch provinces. In recent years, the museum has also been searching for what they call the new Rembrandt. It did so in a competition for amateur painters. It was broadcasted via the national TV channel, and the project was called Project Rembrandt. And yet in another national TV program called The Secret of the Master, the night watch was painted in full size, right opposite the real national masterpiece in the Gallery of Honor, Rembrandt. The icon is not only honored, but also truly enjoyed and experienced. The night watch of Rembrandt has become the Dutch national icon, and the whole world comes to see it, Paul Schnabel said. This is his story with a morale. He also could have referred to money. After World War II in the 1950s, the Dutch Central Bank would again succeed in issuing a coherent series of banknotes. The first of these was the series Testators by Eppo Duve. The banknote with the highest value, at that time a thousand guilders, was printed with the face of Rembrandt on it. It is based on his self-portrait of around 1640. Today, Rembrandt is an icon that embodies both morality and money. Thinking of Rembrandt, we see the pastor and the merchant walking hand in hand. In the Dutch roots, the merchant and the pastor are the two archetypes of Dutch society. What we know from the canon approach is that important people or events receive a different appreciation throughout the centuries. In his book, Schnabel also makes a thought-provoking comment. I quote, Art museums are not only the showrooms, but also the archives of taste. End of quote. This view undeniably has a conservative effect. Is there room for another view? Changes in taste, in appreciation and in preference are influenced by changes in society. And an icon today is not made of steel or concrete. Has the idea of Rembrandt as an icon not become too much a part of the existing official cultural heritage? For many in the Netherlands, national or international sport persons or pop stars are their heroes. The last decade's The Dutch society is in a constant change. The population's composition is influenced by migration and age composition. Through a search for a better gender balance and a balanced relationship with nature and climate, our society is in transition. Our economic relationships are increasingly determined by digitalization and our work and lives are clearly impacted by artificial intelligence. Is an icon, like Rembrandt, then an outdated token or symbol in our multifaceted society? Or is there, at its core, an unstoppable desire for one national icon? I'm just curious to what extent this anchoring in the past in morality and money, in the pastor and the merchant, will indeed be influenced by the ongoing changes in our society, changes in appreciation and changes in preferences. Are we on the threshold of calls for a new icon? That's it for this time. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to know more about this story, please be invited to go to my website, RembrandtsMoney.com. Here you will also find my view on the meaning of the term Dutch and the difference between Holland and the Netherlands. And if you are looking for even more details and sources, please consult my book of 2021 with the title Rembrandt's Money, the Legal and Financial Life of an Artist-Entrepreneur in 17th Century Holland. My podcasts through 2024 will serve as a sort of second edition of my book. You are invited to subscribe. Use the link in the show notes as visible below this podcast. The next episode will be about Rembrandt's early period in Leiden. Rembrandt was born in 1606 and left when he was around 25 years of age to Amsterdam. Did he... Grew up in poor conditions. Was his father a penniless miller? In Leiden he apprenticed to become a painter. When did he finish his training? Did he already start his own art studio prior to going to Amsterdam in Leiden? And if so, was he successful? I will give away that you will be surprised about this Leiden period. Anyway... Yet another compelling and fascinating remnant story.